Welcome to Sivako Road to Avatar. My name is Sean Alexander and I'll be your guide to the world of Pandora and beyond. To support this show, head on over to www.patreon.com slash avatarpod, where you can become a patron and gain access to exclusive content. Joining me today on this episode, I'm joined by a very special guest. So, very special guest, please introduce yourself. Hello, I am Petros Patsovas. I am a first and foremost a film fan, a podcaster, a father, a lover, and um, an all round yeah film obsessive. Uh, just 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 to emphasise that. And I am I'm very much uh, the, <laughs> the 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 head of the British chapter of the Babylon Hive. I, I, I will say that I've I adore I adore the film Babylon. Yeah, that, that's going to be our topic of today, which I, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at the title of this uh, episode and been wondering, oh, so why is this Avatar podcast covering Babylon? Uh, <laughs> in, in due time, please, let us, let us get to it in a minute. Uh, but, but first, as I do with all my guests, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, the first of which is, when did you first see Avatar? I would have seen it on its initial run in cinema so what 2009 no yeah 2009 when it came out my recollections of the film i've only ever watched it the once i'm i don't i'm not i'm not i'm not not a fan but i, I would say i'm a i'm a i'm an avatar agnostic i'm not sure if that automatically kicks me off of the podcast there's a hello sean are you still there hello Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but we're, you're on, you know, on a bit ropey ground right now. I know, but I'll, I'll allow it for this episode. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but like, I, I remember the situations around it, like very vividly, because I remember by the time when did it, it came out in August, right? Uh, it was December two thousand nine. December. That's right, because it was really frosty when I went to see it. I remember that. It must have been like maybe the beginning of january 2010 and this is quite crass but i feel is in keeping with uh talking about babylon i vividly remember having to rush home from like uh the cinema because i really needed a poo like and that's like my lasting memory of seeing avatar is is like obviously like the the the, the, the the there are elements of the film that stuck in my mind but it is it's kind of embedded in my brain that i like i really needed to take a poo and that kind of had to like i don't know like every minute the train wasn't like wasn't coming it was like i was, I was teetering nearer and nearer to, to absolute embarrassment on a train platform and it was kind of like yeah that 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 quick I mean, shuffle. I feel like the that's the first time that story's ever been told. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the it first is. time it I've is. had someone admit to Neen to take uh, take a loo break <laughs> afterwards <laughs> in such detail. <laughs> I do apologize. I do apologize, but um, I guess when it comes to Avatar: The Way of Water, that's a lot more fresh in my memory, and there is no there's no bodily functions attached to that film. I saw it the 27th of december um 2022 in a packed out imax screening here in crawley where i live and yeah like sandwiched between two families as that like one lonely nutter on his own in the cinema and i had i had, I had a hoot with it uh, i did realize quickly afterwards I was like, I don't, I don't know like entirely which actor played which role, and then I realised I couldn't figure it out who played who because I couldn't remember any of the character names to to match them up with the actors. So I, I I'm not sure if that was me not paying attention or just being too swept up in it because in the moment I was like, oh, I'm. I'm in. I'm kind of. I'm. I'm fully aboard Jim Cameron's vision, and I think. I think it is like because going into Way of Water, I almost felt like an ab, an obligation to see it just as a film fan. Um, but I was kind of won over by it, and like, I kind of. I don't. Know, I kind of like. Like, I. I. I'm worried to watch it again because I know I'll never be able to capture like 
that IMAX experience ever again. And I think that is that is one thing with films that are like visually groundbreaking and so astonish astonishingly looking is that you don't get the opportunity to like really, really get lost in it the same way that you do in the cinema. And it's almost like I don't know if if I ever were to revisit those films, it would be in kind of like special screenings either put on at like the BFI IMAX or just kind of in re-releases because it's I don't know I like mm. no I I think I think you're right it's it's something about being in the cinema for a film of that scale mm-hmm. and that relies very heavily on its visuals and immersing you in it. Yeah, you want to see it in the best possible way, mm-hmm. and if you're seeing it in IMAX, yeah, like how do you, how do you beat that? Really, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, I'm so I'm so glad to hear that you enjoy it. Had a good time with the uh, with did. the wave water. Well, yeah, yeah, it's kind of it, it's very much like got beats of like a James Cameron greatest hits, at, like especially in that kind of final third of the movie where you're going, oh yeah, he's 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 doing some Terminator here. Do you know what I mean? He's like got this kind of uh, man who can't be stopped like villain and then it's like oh he's doing titanic like with the kind of trapped underwater sequences so it's like he's kind of going yeah i know what people like like i'll, I'll throw in a bit of aliens in there for you as well like it's kind of i don't know i i have this theory that like jim cameron and uh Michael Bay are like two sides of the same coin. And I always say like Michael Bay is like the Wario to James Cameron's <laughs> Mario. Like he's kind of like the, the Elseworld version of him. I, you know what? I can see it though. I, I understand <laughs> what you mean. They it love, makes sense. Yeah, they both love like bombast and kind of both make these like could arguably, I don't know, like, well, I, I, I guess Michael Bay is far more like, flag waving and jingoistic and especially with the avatar films james cameron seems to be steering away from that kind of stuff like obviously you can look at like aliens and see it as like this thing of like uh a i don't know like a big a bit a a a big thing for like the the military industrial complex like aren't the aren't the marine corps great kind of thing and whereas like now it's kind of like the 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 marines are bad and like whereas if if this was a michael bay film it would be it would be very much from the from, from the focus of yeah of 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 the marines being like we gotta find these nasty blue freaks and get them and kill them it's it is honestly i could see michael bay try to do a like yeah basically fo- being like oh we'll do the human side of this story yeah yeah, yeah. Follow, follow their story and see what see what's going on there i, I do think michael bay is such an interesting one because i think his work i think as he's getting older he is leaning a little less towards the american flag stuff mm. maybe a little bit I don't know if it's like I'm a I'm a mass- he's getting a bit cynical maybe. Yeah, I, I'm a ma- I'm a massive defender of ambulance. I thought that was like some of the most fun I had in the cinema last year, and I know there's people who may be listening to this because I, I'm on it who are who are who are like wincing at the fact because they've heard me say this so much, like my, my like confessing my love for ambulance, but like I don't know. I think in both ways as well, in the way that like James Cameron pushes what you can do with like cinema, whether it is mocap and kind of, yeah, like digital effects and stuff like that and pushing it forward. I think Michael Bay and you see it with like ambulance, he's kind of pushing what you can do with like modern technology and like his use of drones and stuff like that. But like his films are a lot more, I don't know, got a sleaze and a grime to them. Whereas, uh, James Cameron has this kind of like polished, lived-in quality kind of everything super realised. Whereas, like, uh, yeah, ambulance feels like at any time, like ambulance could crash through the screen and right into your face as you're watching it. <laughs> mm, yeah. Oh man, I need I need to rewatch Ambulance. <laughs> it's, you're, you're making me really want to rewatch it now. <laughs> um, you know what? Let's get on to our main topic then. I think. 
And we're talking about a, another film from 2022. Uh, was only released recently in the UK mm. a few weeks ago, which is we are talking about Damien Chazelle's Babylon. And yeah, I guess the, be- the best thing to start with is why are we talking about Babylon? <laughs> why do you think we're talking about Babylon? Well, well, they're like, well, I guess we'd have to give a, a spoiler warning here, right? Is that? Yeah, let's let's do a big spoiler warning here, and I'll put it at the uh, in the show notes and everything. Hey guys, we're about to probably spoil the movie Babylon for you for the for the. If, so if you're part of the, well, I guess ninety nine percent of the population of the world who didn't see Babylon, um, yeah, you're gonna get it spoiled for you. Sorry. Well, the film ends, and I guess like just hearing this out of context, even if you haven't heard the film, you'd be like what the hell are they talking about like why like why does this happen but the film basically ends near enough with uh i don't know like a a three second shot of avatar yeah in this (laughs) in this montage that is basically like the history of cinema in like a kind of yeah in a in, in in quick succession of just like whipping through all the way from uh yeah like the first ever like uh motion picture sally grande at a gallop from 1878 all the way right up into um yeah avatar in 2009 and it's kind of like damien chazelle is yeah there's like that's cinema for you baby this is cinema yeah it's so i went and saw it i saw it late in an evening and I didn't know that this was going to happen. And so as soon as it got to this moment, <laughs> in my, I've seen it, I've seen it, I was like, wait, what? And it was like so fantastic. I, first of all, I want to say Babylon is a fantastic film. Mm. I, I had such a good time with it. And I'm so disappointed it's not been so highly regarded by everyone. I'm, I'm honestly kind of shocked. I, and I, I think we'll get into it a bit why it might not be connecting with everyone so much. But yeah, I I just wish people were giving this one a chance a bit more. Yeah, it's I I I do think that there is an easy way out of this film. I think there's something that happens in maybe the first five minutes that, depending on your reaction to it, you will either love it or hate it. And I do think it is that kind of film. And in the screening I was in, there were three people who walked out and like from kind of anecdotal research, kind of like, cause in the lead up to seeing the film, cause I saw it like the first opportunity I could and people I knew had seen it on like opening day and like, uh, like reading stuff online. There was like, yeah, loads of people mentioning like, yeah, X amount of people walked out of my screening and seeing the reviews from America and the kind of polarizing, um like responses to the film i just found myself being i don't know it made me want to see the film more because i was like this could be and it sounds like a really grand statement to make like it almost feels like the last this could be the last movie of its kind like i'm not sure about you but anytime i see an 18 certificate like my kind of eyes widen a bit and i'm like oh that's something we don't get to see that often here in the uk do you know what i mean like something that is you you know what you make a good point there i honestly i so often i go into a film and i it's it does jump out when it's an 18 certificate so often uh certainly in the uk a lot of horrors are only a 15 yeah i and it's only really in extreme circumstances you see an 18 nowadays and this film is like what you'd call like a hard 18 like there is like there is not like you could see oh if they skimmed a couple of seconds off here this this could be a fit like this yeah this isn't the bottom end of an 18 this is like hard in there like they have gone all in on like no this is going to be full bore like depravity from moment one right up until the end and i guess even that ending sequence (laughs) <laughs> like some people could be like that is that is that is depraved like that is a kind of sickening act on cinema itself and that is like a response i've seen from people like i think the 
that ending it, it goes that goes two ways with people right there's some people like i don't know about you but i was sat there in the cinema i felt like manny i was like i i i, I i'm I, I might cry i might cry right now or i'm really tempted to like like just stand up and applaud like that uh that gif you see of uh, uh awesome wells in citizen mm. Kane, like just kind of like really austere looking but just like clapping with all my kind of body behind it it's like yeah it's a, it's a real like i don't know real fascinating stuff yeah because it so yeah it what it is and i've seen people describe it as basically a student's version where of a su- supercut of just the history of cinema mm-hmm. and i can see why it's divisive because um yeah like it that's in a way it depends how you want to read it and i think that's based on how you take this film so i wonder if we we should step back now let's mm-hmm. let's start from the beginning talk about babylon as a whole before sort of diving into how people have been reading basically yes. that ending um so yeah like for those who don't know about the movie babylon it is from Damien Chazelle, who is the director of great films like Whiplash and La La Land. And it's basically like this look through Hollywood during the, the age of moving from silent pictures to talkies. And yeah, we're following a few different people in this time. We follow uh, Manny, who is trying to get into the business. And he, he's not... I mean, so what's his role at the beginning? He, his job at the beginning, is it elephant handler? He's like a fixer, right? He's like kind of like party fixer. Like anything that kind of goes wrong, they're like, they're like, get get us, get us the Mexican, I think they call him at one point. Mm. Like the, you, it kind of establishes like how kind of low down the pecking order he is. And like, I think he says to, it's what it's flea of all people from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> he says like, Maybe next time I, I can be on a film set. And he's like, no, you're, you're, you're very much in the right place here. So, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of just like any odd jobs that need to be done. He just kind of does it for, I think it's Don Wallach is the studio head of uh, Kinescope Studios. And, yeah, he's kind of like, with these kind of lavish parties, he does what needs to be done. So you can imagine that would be, I don't know, it'd be like the, the equivalent of like a PA these days, right? Yeah, I think it's something that, yeah, pretty much the same sort of role, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And yeah, he does, well, <laughs> to put it kindly, he does get the shit end of it. Yeah. Because within, as, as you mentioned, in the first five minutes, there is literally the moment which will decide whether you'd continue this film yeah. or not. Um, which is that an elephant just drops a absolute giant poo on top of uh, two people. <laughs> I'm like onto the lens of the camera as oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is just everywhere. Like, it is as gross as you can get. And oddly enough, that's not even the grossest thing in this film. No, that's not even, like, the grossest thing in the first, like, half hour of the movie as well. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty grim. Like, all of it is, like, just, like... And I think I was, like, that moment I was, like, oh, I can see why this is splitting people. Like, I think, I think... Mark Commode said something to the effect of like the film starts with an elephant shitting on someone and goes downhill from there. Whereas like my opinion was it starts with someone shitting on someone and it gets better. (laughs) Well, that's it for me. (laughs) I think it was such an interesting tone setter. And from there we, we sort of move into the world of Hollywood and the glamour and the glitz and we meet the likes of Margot Robbie and she plays uh, Nellie Leroy mm-hmm. and Brad Pitt's Jack Conrad, who are, so Brad Pitt's playing an established actor who is very well known for his silent films and is very hotshot. And Margot Robbie is playing Nellie, who is an up-and-comer who wants to get into the business uh, as an actress. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see their two careers. And as you mentioned earlier... Uh, oh, actually, I don't know if that was actually mentioned in this podcast or we were talking about it beforehand. There's a big this this film is a big old reference to Singing in the Rain. Yeah, it's it what like what kind of transpires is it what, what I find fascinating and like I watched I watched Singing in the Rain off the back of watching this film, which 
was kind of like a, a cinematic sin of mine to have not seen it at, at like, like nearly 32 years of age. But it almost feels like, I'm like what's really like great about it is like almost doing like a, I don't know, like a, a reverse like making of a true story. Do you know what I mean? Like being like, what would have been the stories that Singing in the Rain would have pulled upon to like to to make that 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 film as if these were all real stories and then the makers of singing on the in the rain like gene kelly had been like oh yeah do you remember like back in the 20s when that happened with jack conrad and do you remember like nelly Leroy and stuff like that and we're kind of like pull these things and it kind of like it's doing this weird thing of like in the timeline of the film forward referencing but in obviously the timeline of how we're living it's it's referencing back to singing in the rain and I, I just find it i just i just found that like really great like is this big love letter to singing in the rain like there's a brilliant rendition of singing in the rain at one moment when like jack conrad has to like join a load of other stars all in their raincoats like doing a performance of it yeah off that there is like so many references to it yes and it, it's so fun as well like i, I so I'm a huge fan of Singing in the Rain. I think it's it's one of my favourite films. And I love the way of using that story and looking at the darker side of it. Yes. and Because yeah. Singing in the Rain is pretty much all, you know, happy smiles all the way through for the most part. Mm-hmm. Because because it's a, it's a musical and that's, yeah, like what the musicals of the time were expected to be. And yeah, to see this sort of dark underbelly, which I think is a, a reflection on... Hollywood as a whole that Chazelle was trying to tell I, it's yeah so it's so interesting to see and I, I I loved it for that I think what they both do really well as well is obviously like Babylon is a period set film and uh well as is as is uh singing in the rain as well right mm. so like yeah. kind of both set at the same time but what they what they manage to do is they both feel so modern obviously like Babylon has the the benefit of being made in 2022 but watching singing in the rain it's like wow like this doesn't feel dated at all mm. like it feel it feels so modern and like just so great and timeless it is yeah like it is i can understand why it's like a timeless classic because it's it's fantastic yeah so were there particular moments from, well, these are our main three characters for the film. There are a few others as well throughout that we follow. Uh, but there, is there any moments from these characters that really stood out to you? Um, I guess like that entire 32 minute opening sequence, because it almost feels like it is, it's not, but like, well, I guess there are big sequences of it that are like one oneers, like throughout this party. But that kind of, set up to the title card is is just jaw dropping just everything that's going on like kind of going in and out of this party managing to like establish everyone that we're going to follow throughout this film basically like including uh lady Zhao and sydney the trumpet player mm. just all at this party yeah, all of that, and it kind of, I think it sets out the stall of, of what you're in for, like, from, yeah, people like, people getting shot on by an elephant, we get um, an overweight gentleman being pissed on, we get somebody, like, a champagne bottle shoved up their ass. like, somebody ODing, copious amounts of cocaine, like, we kind of, like, it's just an, an assault on the senses, and then when you kind of get that and like the title comes up, it's almost like it just gives you a chance to just like exhale because you feel like throughout that first, yeah, it's 32 minutes. You're like, oh, my, te- my chest is tight, like in a kind of like, I don't know, almost like excited, like I can't believe what I'm watching. And then I just think that is a real ballsy way to to open a film and, yeah, I love that the the, the 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 opening title doesn't come in until such like a, a long way into the film. And then I know it's it's a film that's made up of just amazing little set pieces. I think like that first day on set when 
Manny manages to tag along with Jack Conrad and they're 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 there sit on the like kinescope lot and we're seeing like the way that films would have been made like just multiple sets going on at once or multiple movies being filmed at once and yeah Nelly Leroy's kind of first day on set as well and the way that like she looks haggard and kind of like she's been partying till like four in the morning has like three hours sleep gets onto set and is just like the moment that they kind of call action and she like they kind of get that cling on her face she's like like hey ya boys and it's like yeah like it's, it's, it's so like jubilant and like that that again that feels like another long like 20 to 30 minute sequence and it's kind of broken up into these great little moments within it whether it's all that stuff on the set and then we get that great moment of what like where manny's got to get to uh like a camera shop to rent the camera and get back in time and that's like scored to uh like yeah that i like the mate like that amazing like and <laughs> then like it's all this big rush to get like the ultimate shot at the end of the day and yeah like i i just i like that that stuff and that well i've basically said the first hour of the film so far haven't I? <laughs> I mean yeah we could just break it down keep <laughs> it feels like it though that you could just honestly just keep grabbing little half hour sections and mm-hmm. being like yeah that's my favorite section and then you'd watch the next half hour and be like oh wait now i think it's this section yes and but for me definitely that that first day on set is is for me is my favorite personally and i think it's to do with that final shot of them getting that shot mm. everyone's standing around watching as as they get like this the golden hour the, the sun's just at the right point as everything kind of comes together finally and uh, I, I think it's that it speaks to something about the sort of the the magic of capturing those moments i yeah i just love- last a lifetime I love I loved the casting as well of Spike Jones as this like madman French director, uh, the German director. Like it's kind of like it's really inspired casting because he does it so he does it so great that there's like so much comedy with it, but at the same time like such menace and like and like yeah like when they get it is kind of like jubilant and. I do, yeah, that 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 moment is is you, you feel it right. You like, again, you want to kind of like get up in the screening and like applaud that they've managed to do it, considering like everything leading up to it. Like we kind of get that montage of uh, Jack Conrad just getting hammered in his in his dressing room, and you're like, oh no, you're not going to pull this off, Jack. And he's like, he just like yeah, when the camera's rolling, he's just like the ultimate professional. Mm. nails it like yeah stumbles into the shot and then it's like action boom here he is butterfly lands on his shoulder just as the sun's going down and you get that like swell from the orchestra it's like oh it's beautiful mm. yeah just it, it really captures something for me and I, I've, i'm gonna admit it's probably because I, I studied film at university so something like that really speaks to me and like why I wanted to study film in terms of being like, my God, like just those moments where you just capture something, but you, you just didn't think you could. Mm. And it works out so perfectly and it all feels worth it. All the stress, all the mess that come before it just to capture that one moment. And I think like this film could be argued that it's like very inside baseball, like for filmmaking. But I do feel like there is an element that, like, everyone kind of has that in their working day, right? Like, managing to, like, nail something, like, before a deadline or just, I don't know. Yeah, just things lining up as as you need them and feeling feeling that satisfaction. But, yeah, it all worked out in the end. And, yeah, it's really interesting when you sort of... I consider, like, that little, that first day sequence as almost like a like a smaller part of the whole story which is this whole look at hollywood and how there is so much mess to it and so much awfulness but this final montage maybe speaks to to that final yeah like having capturing that one moment mm. and i think i think that's maybe what what Chazelle was trying with it yeah i i i think there's like 
and he's trying to say right that that it is worth it like because when you get to that moment and the butterfly landing on the shoulder it is like all of that leading up to it has been has been worth it and like kind of obviously outsiders looking in they might be like all of this money that's like put into films and i recently recorded an episode of my podcast about like on-set fiascos and like troubled productions and some of some like some films on that list and some films we discussed on that episode like apocalypse now is like well that's one of the greatest films ever made but like it was an absolute nightmare to make but when you when you kind of get to the end product you go was it worth it yeah, I think I think it was. Like, like. Well, I I think a perfect example as well. Like, if we if we come back to one of Cameron's films, is is Titanic. Yes, it's, which was mentioned on this on that on that very same episode. I, I, as I imagine, yeah, like it was a disaster making that film. Genuinely, it was awful for everyone involved. But did it was it worth it? I think everyone involved would probably say yes. They they would do it all again. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure uh, James Cameron's accountant would say it was very worth it. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think Babylon's such an interesting way to yeah, like approach this sort of story of Hollywood because I do feel like there is a habit of Hollywood to do that sort of uh, self congratulation thing, but this is, if anything, shows so much the worst side of it yeah warts and all yeah one of the like one of the things i think it gets so right and i i guess like it's this is like for me like this this wins makeup for me on at the oscars uh for one reason and one reason only is something that i'm always pulled out with on period set films is teeth like you watch westerns and stuff like that and people have got glistening white teeth the teeth in babylon even like down to like nelly Leroy, they just look a bit grubby like everyone looks a bit like i don't know especially when you get to toby Maguire's character Oof. like the worst <laughs> teeth ever but like it like this kind of yellowy teeth but everyone's kind of got a bit of yellowy to like do you know what I mean like they look the characters look lived and look look a bit grubby and like that first day on set particularly with uh, Nelly Leroy like Margot Robbie looks kind of all a bit bent out of shape and it's like you would imagine that's what it probably was like like the especially with the studio system it's like it was it was a job it wasn't this kind of glamorous thing of like oh we, we shoot for like 40 days and then like you go for a nice holiday it was like no you finished a movie we're starting the next one tomorrow boom 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 you get paid your like monthly salary and like yeah you look back to like judy garland like around the time and stuff like that and i think her and mickey rooney have talked about the fact that they were they were making movies and then finishing and wrapping and the same afternoon they were they were they were on to the next one and getting paid like three hundred dollars a week for the for the privilege of it which like was pennies compared to some of their co-stars who were kind of like day players or like production players which is insane yeah and i think uh you you brought up toby Maguire, and i think that once again another like extended sequence mm-hmm. which sees if the opening of Babylon is like meant to be gross in but in a sort of like fascinating like oh this party looks a little bit too over the top for me but I probably would still go mm-hmm. uh Toby Maguire's section is the I never want to see this person or experience any of this in my life ever yeah <laughs> the, of it. the place he takes them to is referred to as the arsehole of LA I don't ever want to go to anywhere that's referred to the arsehole of anywhere <laughs> No. <laughs> and it genuinely is it turns a little bit into a horror film at that point because yeah. you're just descending and I've seen people um refer to this as like descending into hell. Mm-hmm. And I think there's definitely a lot of sort of biblical things going on here in with throughout the whole movie. But yeah, like he's just seeing all of this 
the the grossest side of of LA and seeing everything wrong with it and I, how far people have lost their way. And I think Tobey Maguire is the perfect casting for that character. Not to say he is like that, but I know that Tobey Maguire kind of there are stories about him and I know that him and Leo at one point were a part of a gang that they I think they called themselves like the the Pussy Patrol or something like that. <laughs> Like I think that's. Posse. I think that might be the in between as one. Well. It was the pussy <laughs> posse. That is it. That's it. And they, yeah, sorry, yeah, P- pussy patrol. Uh, <laughs> um, that and 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 yeah, his he he is um Mr. X in Molly's game as well. That is who that yes. based on. So yeah. I think he does understand like the darker side of modern Hollywood. So I imagine like. It wasn't that far of a stretch for Tobey Maguire to like inhabit this character, who is like, I don't know, probably him giving into the deepest and darkest of his base urges as an actor. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you're right. His casting is is so perfect because of that experience he has. But also, I think it works great when you compare it to something like he he was like the lead in Charming Man of Great Gatsby. Yes. And but he was so clean cut in that that this works as such a polar opposite, mm-hmm. and the time periods they were set in are so similar. Mm. In that it feels like yeah, it's like uh, night and day between the two. Yeah, and I, I I know that Damien Chazelle has said in interviews that Tobey Maguire actually like was just somebody, uh, one of his producers. I think it was Matt Bluff knew who had worked with, and when they were doing table reads for Babylon would just like come and do any like any of the table reads and read multiple characters throughout uh throughout the table reads. I think at one point he read the oh what is his name? Um PJ, the the the, the assistant director who works with Damien Chazelle's wife on like in, in that amazing sequence where it's the first ever talkie. Yeah. Oh, that's again. Uh, this is it. It's it's <laughs> yeah. so perfectly cut up into like little uh, little moments, vignettes. Yeah, that, yeah. That every time I'm sort of like, man, that's maybe my favorite, and that that again is such a standout one of <laughs> of Nelly Leroy experiencing a talkie for the first time, trying to work with it. That and, and just the chaos of it all. Well, it's just that. Like, I I love it. You've got that guy who keeps going like. Who's doing like the co- the like call in the card, and then you just have someone who's like in the off screen just going Mark, and like each time it like it gets more and more defeated, and just the way it's filmed, like the camera whipping round to the to the sound booth, and like you've got this kind of bomb under the table of the cameraman locked in this box, and like it's kind of like you're just waiting for what is going to go wrong and that like explosive ending of that scene of like yeah the cameraman just falling out of the box dead and like everyone just kind of in the interim just losing their minds and like yeah um who's the pj burn who plays Mm. max He's just so good getting like more and more amped up as it goes on. I absolutely like he's he's an absolute scene stealer in that. Yeah, he he kills it in that, and I I just adore that sequence for yeah, like the sound design as well because every like piece of electrical equipment has its own like sound to it, and it sounds like they t- just turn up the volume on them all, so you can hear the buzz of the lights. Yeah, like he ha- I think yeah, he, ha- he has he has a go at Ruth Adler, uh, Olivia Hamilton's character about. I think she's got like a, a, a like a, a metal rod in her leg from an injury. <laughs> and like, I know that I know that Margot Robbie like uh, in one of the like one of the takes of it like was like took a tennis racket from that set and was like hitting the hitting the mic and like that didn't get in. But like something that wasn't scripted was like her punching the the sound man and like, i think that like it is that thing of like capturing the capturing the moment and like that perfectly like encapsulates the frustration that must have been felt of like obviously not just that this is a new way of doing things but i guess 
the advent of talkies for a lot of people, I guess it was like the party's over, right? Like they had this sense of we have kind of been not getting away with it in a sense, but like we've mastered what we've done and we've been able to to do it. It's, it's I guess an analogy for like just working day people is just getting shit hot at your job, whatever it is. Even if you clock in at you you know you can clock in at nine, bish bash bosh, get your job done. It might be in an office, it might be on a building site, whatever you do, you know you can do it. Like and you know at night I can have six beers and I can go in. And they knew we can go hard at night, do it in the day and like repeat. And then the advent of talkies would be like, yeah, in your office being like, oh, we're bringing a whole new database system or something like that. And you guys have got to learn whole new practices. So I guess that scene, and I guess like the latter half of this film, is people realizing that like, not just, yeah, like the thing, the thing we love is changing and some people aren't cut out for it, but our way of living is 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 basically dying and i i, I guess that makes this film kind of relevant because cinema is always shifting and changing and it especially now we're always on the precipice of like some like it feels like we're losing something whether it's the theatrical experience like i guess in the in the like i don't know, I remember the late uh, the late 2000s it was like oh, cinemas have stopped projecting 35 mil and it's all DCPs now. It's all digital. And, like, throughout cinema, you've seen these, like, I don't know, the 90s, it was, right, we're having multiplexes everywhere. And, like, it's like it's always in a state of flux. And I imagine throughout, throughout, throughout Hollywood, there is always this feeling and these ebbs and flows of, like, the way we used to do it is dying out. And we're, I don't know, I guess, yeah, you get that that kickback and that fear and i think this film perfectly encapsulates that fear people must have felt and i think that brings it so neatly onto that final montage in a way of this build-up of seeing the history of cinema and the and i think a big thing of this is that a lot of these films are not just obviously like important films but they're also the showing the way in which the film industry is changing at the time as well yes so uh things like uh the arrival of the train a mm-hmm. trip to the moon you had uh wizard of oz there the jazz singer and it it was sort of like this build-up of seeing how history has progressed and how the industry has changed from the time that manny would have started in it in the uh the silent era to going through the talkies and then seeing on beyond it all and how and that's where it brings us up to the more modern ones so things like tron terminator 2 is included jurassic park the matrix and then avatar as the the final sort of modern film well it's like we we have gone that like and damien chazelle has said he like and and you'll be happy to know this i think he he had to he had to get big jim to sign off on 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 the avatar and terminator 2 clips like he actually like like I've, yeah i think I big jim that phone call. <laughs> yeah like hey 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 jim so i've uh, yeah i've i've done this montage i could send it over to you but what are you doing two about? films i need i need t2 and i need uh avatar um don't ask why <laughs> well, i guess i guess big jim could look at it, especially with ending on avatar is like cinema has hit its final form do you know what i mean like this is like but i guess it is like that is the film to look to because it is like we have got away like if you look at the first thing mentioned in that is just a horse galloping so that is that is natural that is nature that is a human that is a horse and then all the all the way you get to avatar and it is like the navi jumping off the side of a floating mountain riding that sky dragons exactly and it's just like everything is pure imagination it is it is not a single kind of 
living organism on screen. It is all kind of, yeah, it's all digitally made and rendered to look like flesh and blood, but isn't. And you can see why Damien Chazelle did that. And I think the interesting question to ask is, what is his stance on it like is he like i i, I like I, I don't i don't think he's been explicit in i don't i personally feel like he thinks it's a good thing but i think there's the debate to be had is is he saying it's good or is he saying it's bad like yeah i think you know what this and i've seen people mention this online and it's in particular to do with one shot that's in the montage which is we see a title card come up that says uh fin de cinema so as, as in the finale but then the montage continues on past that. Uh, and that's where we get into the technology side of things, the things like Tron and uh, Avatar, which makes... I, and I can see the argument being that once it hits that that point, afterwards it's seen as being like, oh, have we gone too far? Mm, as, yeah. That, that's the argument I've seen some people make. Do I agree with that? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> no, I think it's just a thing of like because yeah it subtly just adds in more and more like digital sequences right because i know like tron isn't digital but kind of like it, um, do you know what i mean it's, it's kind of proto like i think that was a lot of like shell shading like them painting mm. uh, yeah painting over the, the the film and stuff like that but then when you get to terminator it's like that's kind of like the advent of CG as we kind of know it today. And then Jurassic Park and yeah, like the Matrix is like, well, yeah, the Matrix, we're doing things that like at the time, it's like, well, we haven't seen this. We haven't seen bullets bend like this before. We haven't kind of seen cityscapes kind of bend in weird ways like it does in that. And I think, yeah, I think, I don't think, I, I, I personally don't think he's saying it's, it's a bad thing i think he's just saying that cinema is is always changing and i i i think there's an optimism to it like yeah we might think that the theatrical experience is dead but like i'm sure that people thought that like people thought that when tv came out do you know what i mean they're like that's it um they they people thought that radio was dead when movies came out people thought that filming on film was dead when digital kind of caught up and and but people still film movies on film like i'm pretty sure from looking at it babylon was shot on on film like it's yeah it's so interesting to think of this final sequence as a way of to me, it's all about those wow moments of cinema yeah. throughout throughout the history, and it and it's different for everyone. Like obviously, for you know our generation, the films like Jurassic Park and The Matrix and even Avatar are the are our wow moments. We we weren't around to experience the first talkie, that's <laughs> so we can't have that wow moment. Every film we saw as a kid was a talkie. <laughs> um so yeah it's it's interesting to think yeah like and i think it's something to do with there was a conversation that's in the film between uh brad pitt's jack conrad and uh gene smart as eleanor st john which is to do with the legacy of cinema mm. and the legacy that you leave and it's about how he you know despite the fact that he might die he will leave a legacy and people feel like they know him through his films years and years after he's gone. There'll be people who are born after he's died who will feel like they know him personally. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a little bit of what Chazelle's trying to capture there is to say, it doesn't matter that cinema has changed so much since it began. Mm-hmm. It's still there. It's it's still, it's still the same, you know, me sitting in the cinema watching Babylon is the same as Manny sitting in the cinema watching Singing in the Rain. Yeah, if we're having that experience and feeling connected to it, it doesn't matter what you've watched; it's the same experience. You're still feeling that buzz. Yeah, and like I'm sure we could all have that experience of like 
watching a film and like having that kind of out of body experience and all those films we've watched that gave us those moments i think giselle has just boiled it down to this list of movies that are impactful and like i don't think he's well he's he's 38 years old so i don't think he's an old man wagging his finger at people saying like we messed it up do you know what i mean like because mm. what his first movie came out not even 10 years ago yeah so, like, like, so he he's only been making films you know he's only 38 so that makes it you know he's in the, the sort of same generation as us in that he is experiencing it at the same pace as us in a way so yeah it does make you wonder like does he have those same views it's it's hard because we're obviously during the, we're in this sort of generation of so much change constantly mm-hmm. and i do that and i think something like la la land is such a throwback to you know that wide-eyed uh love of old hollywood and musicals and such that people have probably preemptively read babylon as being the same when i don't think it is it's quite as simple as that yeah it's it's and it's a film it it what what i find crazy about it is where does a director go from this film because like i've heard it been referred to as like the last film do you know what I mean? Like, whether that is like Damien, like it feels like it, it, like, does Damien Chazelle just duck out after four movies? Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like I go from first man to what is essentially like the last movie ever. And I think like it kind of, it's a big swing because, yeah, like I said earlier, it feels like this film in a way is like, could be the end of these high budget made for adult grand follies Mm. i did like i can't especially the way that cinema is going especially seeing it in cinema do you know what i mean like and even i don't know even netflix seem to be pulling back from giving auteurs like their kind of uh, blank check and being like make whatever movie you want like i imagine after white noise and kind of like they were probably hoping big things for that at the oscars and the lukewarm reception of that they're going to think again about giving like a yeah like a a, an auteur director like a hundred million dollar check if it's not gonna if it's not gonna pay back and i I think i don't know you've got a you've got to tip your hat off to paramount for just really going you know what we're going we're going all in on this movie like it's it's what it's reported like 80 million dollar budget it's, it's like... so it's done so poorly this is <laughs> it's horrifically doing bad at box office so yeah the budgets are reportedly 78 to 80 million and the box office currently sits at 50.5 million which means minimum it's made 30 million dollars loss but when in reality it's probably done at least a hundred million dollar loss yeah yeah because we're not even talking about like and yeah. and this is the thing this is a film that's been marketed uh, quite substantially i would argue yeah and i was i was in from the marketing like as a big like fan of yeah like hollywood cinema especially from like the 70s um immediately when i first saw the first trailer for babylon and there's a real cheap gimmick they do but i i, I kind of was enamored by it and it, i was sold on it was they have the stars from the Paramount logo disappear as you hear Margot Robbie uh, snort a line of coke. And I immediately just thought of uh, Bob Evans, the studio head of Paramount in like the early 70s and was like, he like, that feel like it feels like he would have loved that that's like the ultimate tribute to to bob evans in that like he, he was this kind of cocaine snorting um i don't know hollywood wild man and it's yeah it's, it's, it's great that paramount have t- taken a taken a punt on this film yeah it, it feels a film out of time nowadays like if you were told you know with different actors in place this is a sort of film i would 
expect to see more from the sort of 70s era where big risks were getting taken mm-hmm. and yeah we just don't see films like that anymore and i i do want to bring it back to the idea that this feels like a a final farewell for a director not a uh someone who's still kind of starting off their career like to me if someone like tarantino was saying you know put this out as their final film mm-hmm. i'd understand it because it, it fits in with that sort of narrative but yeah, what I don't. I'm so curious to see what Chazelle does po- post this. Yeah, well, like <laughs> weirdly, Tarantino kind of did that with his final film, with his second to with with the last film he made, with like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That feels like a kind of it's my love letter to Hollywood, like, and it's it's great. It's great. And we're living in an era of people writing their love letters to Hollywood, like even. Mm. Even the Fablemans by Spielberg, as much as it is a personal story about him and his family, it's almost like his love letter to yeah to cinema, and it's like this is this is kind of in this uh, recent spate of them that we're getting, and yeah, Babylon kind of I don't know. I think I think it's one I'm going to be revisiting time and time again for sure. Yeah. It it definitely gives me the feel of one I would I would love to even vi- revisit back in in portions mm-hmm. just for that little buzz that it gives it gave me in the cinema. Yeah, um, I do have one question for you, which is, what would you add to that final sequence, that montage? Ooh. You have to add one film that's post Avatar, let's say. Post Avatar. Um. <sighs> It's a hard one. I know. I've, I've thrown this on you. <laughs> yeah, you've really thrown it. You've really what I like. <laughs> this is like what I think another director would have done, and I would have thought would have like been a real ballsy move. Well, like because there's two ways you can look at it as well, right? There's the thing of like Avatar is the like I don't know, almost like the final form of cinema getting away from the natural and being totally artificial and i'm not i'm not saying that in a disparaging way i'm just saying like how far it has come i don't know if anything is like surpassed that i think a a funny joke after that would be a shot from ready player one just (laughs) see like kind of especially one of those sequences of like every kind of pop culture character that you know and love from every movie and kind of like uh yeah thing you've ever seen all kind of colliding would be and i think that would be the clear indication of cinema has gone too far and we are now just kind of a snake eating its own tail of like all we want is give us things we know and things we've seen before like i think that would have been funny i think it would have been quite funny if he had like put in a clip of one of his own films <laughs> see i was thinking that and i was like <laughs> like la la land like it'd be really funny if he was like i'm just gonna put in a clip from first man seeing as none of you guys saw it the first <laughs> time uh so you can watch it now <laughs> or just like after the avatar you just get the clip of fletcher throwing the chair <laughs> andrew neiman like and it, oh. and i was telling ducking or mm. that final shot of of um of whiplash mm. and andrew on the drum kit and that like look him and fletcher have like, yeah that but but then again that's just because that's a great final shot of that film i just yeah i think it would have been a hilarious ballsy move of damien chazelle to put one of his own films in there but uh, if i ever get a chance to ask i'll ask him why he didn't <laughs> <laughs> um but as for like a personal choice does it have to be post oh you know what no you know what let's let's widen it out i will i will i i I will have i would have the michael kissing fredo moment from the godfather part two Mm. you know what i'm gonna say this i don't this is just a side point but there's several points in this film where (laughs) manny looks really like al pacino yeah (laughs) And like what, like gotta say, Diego Calva, like what a oh, kind of oh my god, so good, he is incredible. Yeah, like he 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 looks he looks like in the best sense, he looks kind of weathered and real, and that's what I mean. The the people in this look, they look real. Yeah, no <laughs> one no one has that 
Hollywood shines to them where they look like they've just walked out of their trailer, just mm-hmm. had their makeup done. Everyone's got like a layer of sweat on them constantly. Yeah. Even... The gross kind of sweat. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think that's a perfect summation of the film is there's, there is a, there's a layer of gross sweat on it. And uh, <laughs> I've just, I've just remembered the, the, the snake sequence in the middle of this film. And it's like, again, it's like, oh, like, again, yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, it's another moment where you could just watch. And it makes me wonder if at some point, you know, like how someone did for the Irishman in, oh, you could watch the Irishman in like these three parts. Mm-hmm. I wonder if someone could do the same for Babylon in putting it into like a, a mini series of a way. Yeah. Like, here's these different moments. And I think it would work just as well, honestly. Mm-hmm. I hope that there is an outtake somewhere as well of Margot Robbie in that moment with the snake saying, Hi, my name's Nelly Leroy and welcome to Jackass. <laughs> yeah, it had a big jackass vibe. Yes. <laughs> and, and 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 to that point, I saw somebody point out on Twitter recently that there is a moment when Manny's walking the streets in the 1950s in that kind yeah. of final sequence of it and in the background you can see a portion of the billboard for jackass forever <laughs> see, <laughs> so, that, that's my answer for the film you have to add you have to add jackass forever oh that would be perfect yes yeah, it's, it's a paramount film oh johnny yeah if it ended with johnny knoxville being launched out of that cannon <laughs> <laughs> yes please like that is pure cinema like if we're talking pure cinema yeah jackass forever's in there oh uh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you about this film i I, so I feel like i've been dying to talk about it in some way and the fact that avatar shows up in the film mm-hmm. just made it a perfect opportunity to I, I i i feel so good i feel like i've kind of managed to vomit out as much as i can say about this film that there are people in my personal life who will be very thankful that I've managed to get it out of me. Like people who haven't seen the film, be like, oh, you got to watch it. You're like, uh, and like, re- like really trying to restrain from just like, I don't know, verbal vomiting out, like everything that happens. And like, I've been trying to pester my parents to watch it somewhat like trepidatiously thinking, they'll hate it but like i almost want to watch it with them to like take some glee in their reactions do you know what i mean like always like oh you're gonna see a man having a champagne bowl shoved up his bum like how how are you gonna react to that (laughs) yeah it's just one of those ones where i do want to hear more and more opinions on it (laughs) and i hope the fact that yeah now it's on digital in america and we'll probably at some point in the next few weeks get it digital in the uk is that, yeah, we can just have more and more conversation open up about it. Uh, there was one thing that we did not mention, which I think is a crime we haven't talked about, is that Justin Hurwitz's score is just so good. The music in this is unreal. I have been, I, I like, I have been ingesting everything I possibly can about this film in regards to interviews. And like, the fact that music for this was written at like the storyboarding stage, mm-hmm. and especially like the relationship that Damien Chazelle and, um, yeah, uh, Justin Hurwitz. Uh, Hurwitz have together is f- like is fantastic, and it's I love especially, and, and it draws back into that final montage sequence that it's kind of takes all of the all of the score we've heard throughout the film and kind of like merges them like one. It's a, yeah, it's like a reprise of all of them at the same time, and you almost get like the introduction of like a an 808 kick in there that like makes it feel super modern and stuff like that and like these kind of uh house like disco uh hi-hats you get like pulsing through it and there's that great kind of oriental riff you get in there as well like that kind of east asian like and i that that there is a sound on this soundtrack and it's, it's it's in that opening sequence and i think it's the final sound you hear in it and it's like that wang, like that kind of like ringing out. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it would be like. That kind of like weird little harp that you put in your mouth and just like clang it. Mm. It's like a weird little, it does have a, it, there's a name I know it by, but I don't think it is what it is called. And I think it's a, like a derogatory 
name for it, so I don't, I don't want to say it. But uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a sound. Listen to Babylon on the soundtrack is about ten seconds long, and it's the sound that ends that uh, that ends that piece of music. Yeah, it's overall just that that musical score is so good and. Yeah, I would implore people if you want some good background music mm. just to get you pumped. That yeah. that's the one to go to. I've been yeah, I've I, I've been I've been on a treadmill with with I think uh, the song Coke Room off mm. the soundtrack, and that that kind of saxophone riff repeats throughout the soundtrack in different in different forms, and like it really keeps you really keeps you going. Like you get that momentum, you're kind of like you you, you want to push yourself forward without without kind of extracurricular substances to help you along the way yeah <laughs> so yeah just a huge thank you for coming on and yeah where's the best place for people to find you you can find me on all social medias uh, at caged in pod where yeah i host uh, caged in and caged in copla connections which are kind of an umbrella podcast where i talk about all things nicholas cage and the wider copla family um <laughs> I was looking for an excuse to talk about a babble on my podcast. And I, I think at some point I may do it just because Spike Jones is in this film and at one point was married to Sophia Coppola. So that as, 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 as you found a way to speak about this film with the, with the, with those three seconds of avatar, I think I can do it with somebody who used to be around the dinner table at Christmas. Oh, you know what? I think you have more of a, a uh, account for claim. it than I, yeah, exactly. A bigger claim than I do. Three seconds. And, it's what a beautiful three seconds eh? oh yeah but yeah thank you everyone for listening uh this is a bit of a different one because yeah this is a very non-avatar discussion episode but yeah i hope you enjoyed and go check out babylon i would and i want to hear your thoughts please i want to talk to as many people about babylon as possible uh yeah until next time thank you all and goodbye thank you for listening this week's episode is dedicated to our patrons Eric Scrock and Patrick Regal. To become a patron, visit www.patreon.com/avatarpod. Mm-hmm.